the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As we head into Hour 3, we do so with our geostrategic political analyst expert, also pretty darn good expert at domestic policy and politics, too, Brandon Weikert. He is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and he is the author, most recently, of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He's a senior editor at 1945.com. Brandon, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. It's great to be back. You, they've got Thank you. Uh, always love having you. They've, they, 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 they were giving you a lot of interviews today. You still got a little left in your tank for us? Yeah, I do. I have one more at 625 p.m. as well. <laughs> what are they talking to you about? Is there anything going on? Uh, well, it's uh, some of it's about Cyber Pearl Harbor that's yeah, coming, I, I think, in the next month or two. Yeah, that's where I actually uh, wanted to start. You've been talking a lot about yeah. that and tweeting. Talk to us. Cyber Pearl Harbor. Yeah. For regular so, listeners, they, they that will not be the first time they've heard this from you. Right. So um, I think we, talk, we talked about this even last week briefly. Um Basically, uh, about a week ago, the NSA and the Five Eyes Intelligence Networks, and that's the combined intelligence agencies of the U.K., U.S., Australia, um, New Zealand, and Canada, all released a joint report saying that, oh, we discovered that uh, China had exploited a um, a vulnerability in the Microsoft Office uh, software that... um, allowed for them to burrow into all of the networks of our critical infrastructure, banking systems, water treatment facilities, the electrical grid, and um, they may have um, not just uh, been mapping out weaknesses for a future attack, but they may have also been late placing, um, what, for lack of a better term, think of electronic time bombs. Um, programs that are appearing to be normal or something that's part of the operating system, but is in fact a um, malicious program that will go off at the time of China's choosing, which would be around when they decided to invade Taiwan. And I don't know if you saw Kyle Bass's, um, the, the leaked Hudson uh, Institute uh, talk he gave today. Um, it was supposed to be, I believe, off the record. It was put on Twitter. And uh, this is he's an exorable march toward war presentation. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. And so if you take that data point plus the data point that I'm talking about, um, I think that not only is China getting ready to strike us soon, I think they could be going as early as August or September of this year uh, to knock us out with an elected with a cyber or electronic Pearl Harbor. Uh, It's definitely a space Pearl Harbor as well, because you have to knock out those satellites as well. Uh, and then they try to invade Taiwan. You think Taiwan is on the um, on the uh, on the on the on the radar screen for China as earlier as early as in the next sixty to ninety days, huh? It could be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a much higher probability now than it's ever been under any other president. 
why now all of a sudden? Not that it's a great question in the sense that we've been talking about it for 40 years, but why? Well, there's summer a of 2023. Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing is um, it has to do with weather. Yeah. Uh, a physical invasion of Taiwan or even a, a long term blockade. Really, for an invasion uh, scenario, mm-hmm. they'd have to hit either in April to June, and mm-hmm. that, that window's obviously closed, mm-hmm. or they have to wait till um, September-ish uh, until, I think, December for that window, that next invasion window, and, it's, and they're going to need a little bit of time to do it. So that's why I'm thinking it could be in the next you know, 30 to 90 days because of the, the weather situation. And then there's also... The economic situation, if we're to believe that the economic situation in China is deteriorating as badly as some analysts are saying um, in the wake of the COVID, zero COVID policy, in the wake of the banking collapse, or sorry, the real estate market collapse that occurred uh, at that time in China in the last couple of years with Evergreen and whatnot, um, if you take into account also the political situation in China, Xi Jinping has had to increase his level of authoritarianism than any previous leader since Mao, because of the other factors I mentioned, China needs to do something to shift gears. And so something they could do to shift gears is to lash out at their neighbors, um, and they're going to want to do it when an American administration is in office that is inherently weak and probably on some level compromised by Chinese intelligence, that is the Joe Biden administration. They don't want to do this during a Republican administration. They'd rather try to do it when they think uh, a Democrat is in the office, and they will ultimately, after getting knocked out with a cyber Pearl Harbor and a space Pearl Harbor, ultimately let China take Taiwan and then sue for peace with a new geopolitical map having been made where China controls that first island chain and Taiwan. Brandon, on a, uh, I mean, obviously, we, 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 the hardest, what did Yogi Berra say? The hardest thing to predict is the future, but, the future. Uh, right. <laughs> but whether, <laughs> could there be a scenario where there's a space or cyber Pearl Harbor that most Americans won't know about? In other words, that is to say, would it, could it, might it be something that is only known at high end and high level military levels? Well, um, I think this Operation Volt Typhoon might qualify as that. I think it's interesting, um, in May of this year, uh, just a couple months ago, uh, all of the congressmen and senators were randomly given brand-new, shiny satellite phones by the military. And the reason that they have that is because, at some point, they might be cut off from conventional communications. Well, why would you do that now? Why would you do that? Uh, you know, what was going on? What's going on? I think that the, the warnings and indicators have been there for at least the last eight months to a year that some significant shift is coming from China uh, in terms of their threat to us and that it is escalating, not de-escalating, um, and that I think that, that our military people might be thinking, well, hey, we're going to need a contingency where all of our elected leaders are able to still communicate and coordinate with us after the power grid is knocked out, after the, um, the, the phone lines are down, after the cell phone tire t- t- towers are disabled. Um, and remember, that's what, you know, Michael Yan and some of these other people, uh, Claire Lopez, friend of mine, uh, was, was warning about with that balloon in February, was that that could have had an electromagnetic pulse detonation device 
on the bottom of it. It might not have just been, and the next one might not just be a, a sensor node collecting information on America's nuclear weapons arsenal. It might be something designed to knock the country out electronically. Brandon, um, to just add fuel to that, I have to say, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm just kind of thinking about the last six to eight months where we did have those balloons, where we did have the news finally breaking of what's China's doing in Cuba. Um, And then there's this third thing that I never really thought about until I was listening to you speak, which is, you know, maybe it's not irregular, but it does seem that there has been a flurry of U.S. administration officials going over to meet with the Chinese of late, more than usual, more than, you know, more than I can remember in a long time. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's related, I think, because they're trying to... um they're trying to basically increase the level of diplomacy and interconnectivity uh, between China because there is on some level a great fear um, that the American uh, that the, the American Chinese relationship is breaking down to the point of no return. Um, and I think they're also trying to signal that uh, we're not a threat. And of course, that's the way wrong message, I think, to be signaling right now. We should be signaling to them that if you do anything to us, certainly, but to the Taiwanese or the Japanese or the South Koreans or whoever, you know, that we will respond. Um, that's what we should be saying, but we're not. That That is anticipating my next question, which is... It's a hard one to a- ask. It's probably just as hard to answer, but... Maybe it isn't from your perspective. How hardened are we to be prepared to thwart a cyber or space Pearl Harbor? Now, let me do this. Let me take a quick commercial break and ask you to answer that on the other side, just because it sounds like it might be a complex answer. And I have only just a few seconds left in this segment. Brandon Brandon Weikert is my guest. He is the author of Among other books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, Can we? Are we? And then, of course, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. You put those two books together and um, you will be prepared to understand the times we're living in better than anyone else. Brandon can be followed on Twitter at we, the Brandon, W-E, the Brandon. He's also a senior editor at 1945.com, one nine. F-O-R-T-Y-F-I-V-E dot com. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. You may be hearing and seeing him on other platforms. But, Brandon, just remember, we had you first. How long have we been doing this? About five years? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about five years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's a delight to have it feels you. Like, it feels like a lot longer. But, does it? Um, yeah. It I, does, yeah. I mean, yeah. Five years, I know it sounds like a long time to people, but uh, it's, it's not really a long time. Uh, yeah, no. It, we've, we've, been, we've been learning from you for a long time to our benefit. Thank you for doing it. Winning Space, so How America you, uh, Remains a Super here. I don't want yes? you to be worried i'm uh i'm uh trying to get into my car right now oh yeah no worries you hear if you hear an engine start okay (laughs) if i don't hear an engine start i'll be more worried now that we know we're getting in your car don't don't want that uh click 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 um okay so brandon we're talking about the potential for a cyber or space pearl harbor 
And my question to you is, how hardened are we to prevent it? How able are we to prevent it, you know, uh, within the realm of reasonable uh, estimations on your part? Uh, Well, we've had the capabilities to prevent all of this since the 60s and 70s. And uh, we just haven't taken the the time to do it. And, um, you know, it's... uh, (laughs) It's really unfortunate because if we could have done it, we uh, we, we, sh- we should have done it uh, about at least 20 years ago. But because we did not, uh, here we are. And um, we are now having to deal with uh, being attacked by China, a country, by the way, that was like a giant North Korea until about 40 years ago. Yeah. So had we just, you know, stood up to them and... Um, uh, you know, not given into them with trade deals and whatnot, um, we would have been better off. But of course, we didn't. And then on top of that, we did nothing to um, to address these weaknesses. And so here we are. We're now we are hoist by our own baton. Is this the kind of attack which obviously would be done for military purposes? Is it the kind of thing that could affect? different civilian areas of life maybe this kind of interview maybe my ability to make a phone call it 100 percent will um i think that the 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 initial issue is how much would it try to affect and i think at this rate it's going to be a comprehensive attack okay i think they're going to have to take out creature comforts and conveniences of life in order to uh as, as they see it be able to effectively negate America's ability to, um, uh, you know, respond to a, Thai, a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. One answer that you didn't give, but I have to push you on in response to the previous segment when I was asking you about why now. And I'm guessing you'll agree, but maybe it's irrelevant and it would have been happening anyway. I have to tell you, at the same time that you're discussing all these various indicia, the president and vice president have never looked worse. They just haven't. Yeah. Well, you and I have spoken about this many times on the air before. Your audience knows that that's implied in my statement. Okay. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, no, um, we we look bad. And under Biden, uh, this stuff wasn't happening under Trump. It, It just wasn't happening under Trump. It didn't really usually happen under Bush. That didn't happen under Bush 41. It didn't happen under um, Reagan. It, it just it, do, it doesn't happen under Republicans. This stuff happens under Democrats. It's always Democrats that this stuff happens. Brandon, talk to me a little bit about if I can shift just a few moments, unless there's anything else you want us to know about this, which you should feel free to tell us. I, yeah. Uh, my, my, only, yeah. my only concern is that this thing's, kind of already in motion. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I don't really know what else to say or do other than stay close to your loved ones uh, and let's see if we can get through the next few months um, because it's not looking good, I don't think. Are we? Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm guessing that uh, whatever we're speculating about or, know, or whatever we know, I'm guessing the Taiwanese know, too. And it would be a matter of time before more of this is reported out, I'm guessing. Just a very short I, matter of I, time. I would hope so. The Taiwanese, yeah. 
under constant cyber attack yeah. for years. Okay. I mean, in ways that we couldn't even fathom. And so for them, my concern is they're becoming numb to it, which is what the Chinese want. Yeah. So that it's harder and harder for them to respond because they don't know if it's just another, you know, drill or, or just another probing attack or if this one's the big one. Well, I'm glad you used that word numb because it took me to an issue you wrote about that kind of includes a domestic angle as well as what we've been talking about, a piece I think you just had published today over at 1945, is the American Dream Dead? And this is based off a new uh, University of Chicago poll. And it, it's, it's showing what I often refer to as, a, as, a, as a looking at your shoes view of America, where young people believe the American Dream is simply no longer within reach. And, uh, you know, it's, it's affecting all age groups, but it's primarily driven, those low numbers are primarily driven uh, driven by millennials and, and Zoomers, and I'm just, or Generation Z, if that's better. And and you, you attribute a lot of this to our interaction with China as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, the minute we opened up trade with China, that was when everything went bad in this country for the, for the average Joe. Remember, and we can, you know, a lot of people say that, well, the reason that we had this great kind of era of, of industrial jobs that provided all kinds of goodies for people with very little education, low barrier of entry, that was just because we were the last man standing at the end of World War II. That's some, of, that's some degree of truth, but we could have maintained that lead and, you know, for a much longer time than we did uh, if not for the fact that we weren't so busy uh, building up to the point that they could now challenge us, all these other countries, including China. And the moment that we opened up to China, that was the big one, because what happened was um, the, the Chinese said to Wall Street, basically, give us your industrial capacity, and we will build for you the cheapest products imaginable, and it'll be great, and Wall Street will make all kinds of money. And so Wall Street said, oh, yeah, we're going to let this thing rip. And then they came up with these cockamimi ideas about how, oh, well, it's that we're going to transition before the rest of the world can to maintain our lead. We're going to transition to the knowledge-based economy. And it's going to be wonderful because our kids will be the, still be the innovators and leaders, and the Chinese kids will be doing the sweatshop work, and, and they'll be the you know, working for our kids. Well, that was all a lie. The, the, the Wall Street didn't really think that, I don't think. Um, that was just a, an excuse to compel the rest of middle America's industries to uproot and move to China, which most of them did. And from the moment we lost those jobs and those capabilities, not only was our war machine permanently harmed, as we're seeing with the munitions uh, running low uh, in Ukraine and having that impact on the whole force, and we can't replace them fast enough. But also, more importantly, um, young people couldn't start families because they couldn't get easy access to jobs. They had to get increasing levels of schooling. And then the schooling put them in increasing levels of debt. And then they're leaving college with you know debt loads that are well beyond what their parents had to deal with, well beyond... Uh, you know, what one needs to... Hold it, hold it right there. Let me, yeah, let me hit the break real quick. Let me pick up on that when we come back. Brandon and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He spells his last name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. His most recent book, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, talking about a piece of his at uh, 1945 where he's a senior editor. Brandon, sorry to, to had to cut you off on break there. Feel free to pick up where you were leaving off well, yeah, no, about the difficulty yeah, no, young no couples worry. are having. Yeah. All, all, I was, all I was getting at was that the minute we opened to China, they took all of our jobs that were providing a middle-class way of life, and it's no surprise then that China ended up, the minute that they got that, those jobs, middle America, China ended up building the world's largest and most dynamic middle class, whereas the American middle class began its inexorable decline and shrinkage until 2015, when it was no longer the dominant class in America, economic or socioeconomic class in America. That's a fact. That's a figure that Tucker Carlson loves quoting, and he's right. So, uh, you know, the, the Chinese already won in that respect, because without a viable middle class, you do not have a dynamic a socioeconomic and political system. And so, and in our case, if we lose the middle class, and we've already lost its majority, uh, if we lose the middle class and you have massive income inequality, you're on the road to uh, authoritarianism real fast. And look around, and we are. Brandon, there's another element to what you wrote in there, too, which I'd like to bring up. Um, and it's 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 a bit of a vicious cycle, too, that as all this was taking place with manufacturing in China, we stopped teaching it. I mean, we stopped. I mean, there's now, I don't know, I guess for about 10 years now, people have been trying to reinstitute the notion of STEM education or even, yeah. for that matter, what we used to call vocational and technological education or VOTEC. But that's also been washed out. All washed out. Yeah, and in terms of STEM, I mean, you know, we, we try to put STEM on everything here in America, and yet most people are not actually learning proper STEM. They're, they're getting, uh, you know, a cheap knockoff of it uh, just so that the institution can get a certain certification. Um, and then when it comes to vocational training, you're absolutely right. That's what that show, Dirty Jobs, is all about, is showing off, is, you know, there are dirty jobs out there that are widely available and that actually can provide a good lifestyle but, but for some reason, Americans aren't going to those jobs. A lot of times, I think it's because they don't know about them because society is not orienting them to look beyond just the traditional four-year college path. It's so funny what you just said about STEM and STEM light, so to speak, because while we were kind of spending about, I don't know, a good five serious years on this notion of uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, which is what STEM is an acronym for, all of a sudden, the progressives threw an A in there, didn't they? And they called Steam. it STEAM so that they could yeah. include arts, which is just yeah. the whole point yeah. of having STEM is nullified by the letter A right. that they want to throw right. in no, there. So we can't even do that anything. right, you know? Yeah, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. Right. I mean, the Chinese are eating our lunch when it comes to educating engineers, mathematicians, physicists. Um, they're just producing them at just a record clip. Uh, okay, so Brandon, um, let me just ask really quickly before I get into domestic politics with you. Uh, the news today that will last about three more hours, and it took place about five hours ago. Uh, you, you, Ukraine and uh, and the bridge, <laughs> Ukraine's yeah. uh, bridge and the how serious is this? Oh, it's this is a big deal. Now the Ukrainians, not the Ukrainians, uh, the Russians have been stockpiling 
uh, basic essentials for Crimea, anticipating that the peninsula would be cut off from mainland Russia. So they're probably going to be in a siege mentality now for the next several months. Um, the issue is that the Kremlin already said long ago, if the, the Ukrainians attack the Kerch Bridge, um, and it looks like they're going to knock it out permanently, if, that, if that's what goes on, that they're going to start really intensifying their strikes on military decision-making centers. So Kiev is going to be right back to being in the center of the target rectacle again, and um, it's, it's not going to be good. And basically you're going to be watching an escalation now, uh, yet again, uh, in terms of this war, and I think it's going to inch us closer, not farther away, from some kind, however limited, of nuclear weapons attack, because what's going to happen, I think, is basically Ukrainians are going to try to say, hey, look, America, we can't keep fighting on our own. We need NATO to come in and help. And either NATO is going to threaten to move in directly and help, or they're going to just move in and help. And then that's going to trigger a Russian nuclear response. And then, of course, we're going to be in a, a, real, a real pickle, as they say. Let me let me um, ask you one more question on the other side of this break about Ukraine, sure. um, Donald Trump's response to uh, Maria Bartiromo over the weekend, and then I want to talk to you about your column on Ron DeSantis, which is really good as well. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Follow him on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of several books, most recently Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Brandon, there is an odd thing going on politically with uh, as between Donald Trump and his supporters. I sometimes get the idea or feeling or thought that he sometimes says things, but his supporters think he is saying something else. In other words... If I told you that uh, a candidate running for president said that Zelensky is very honorable and we're going to give Ukraine more than they've ever gotten before weapons-wise, you might think that I'm quoting uh, Lindsey Graham or Nikki Haley. That's actually Donald Trump over the weekend to Maria Bartiromo. Is that a game shifter? Is it an accelerator? Uh, or is it uh, – what is it? It's different. Well, I, in the context of the interview, because I saw the interview, it sounded like he was saying that he was going to threaten Putin with that possibility if Putin didn't agree to sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. The, the, the problem with that is, as a negotiation strategy, I don't really think that's going to work, because basically we've been doing that already. Mm-hmm. So and that hasn't dissuaded Putin at all. And in fact, Putin, we talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago, Russia's actually done pretty good of sur- in terms of surviving all the sanctions yep. and all the threats that we've lobbed at yep. them. And, and while their military it didn't manage to take Kiev, but that was more because of the strategy that Putin chose at the beginning of the war, um, the, the, the Russian military has managed to survive this war, and they're holding their own in the east and in Crimea. Um, the, the Ukrainians have not been able to punch through anywhere in this much Valley Zoo counteroffensive they've been they've been conducting for the last few weeks, and so uh, and they don't look to be 
getting stronger. The Ukrainians are getting weaker. The Russians look to be getting stronger. Um, so if I, you know, if I could just be honest here, I, I don't even think that was a smart thing for Trump to have said because it's completely toothless, and everybody, especially Putin, is going to know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. The big political conversation, and we've done this uh, a few different ways, is uh, is is the DeSantis campaign does it does it have does it have life uh, does it have enough life does it have enough gas in its tank to overcome some of these what look like to be thirty plus point deficits against over and against Donald Trump and the response is oh guys you, it's way too early um, you write he isn't dead and buried just yet your point is what sir. Well, I mean, the first thing is that we haven't even had our first debate yet. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of a silly, like this whole, it's like, it's silly. It'd be silly if we were writing off Trump at this point, which they were trying to do in 2016 at this point, if you remember. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I kind of get very annoyed. I think this does underscore a deep concern on the part of Trump that, you know, maybe his, his he's not as strong as he thinks he is or as he's projecting. Um, and in fact, I think that um, there's a very real chance. I think the first debate will determine a lot of how this thing goes. It could be that uh, if Trump does decide to show up to it, by the way, but it could be that Trump just walks all over everybody, including DeSantis, and that's easy peasy. It's over then. Trump's the guy. But it could be that Ron DeSantis and a couple others, maybe they get in some quick hits and they're able to breathe new life into their campaign. And I should even rephrase that. Um, DeSantis has a lot of life in his campaign um, compared to the other Keebler elves that are running against Trump. Um, and so I, I think that all DeSantis needs is one or two viral moments in the debate at the end of August, um, and then he needs to win Iowa, and I think he's going to be in a good spot to really effectively challenge Trump. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go on the, the record here and say I really do think that if he can survive this first debate, and stay stay in that competitive streak that he's going to be winning Iowa, the first battleground state that is up for for voting um, in uh, you know in the GOP primary. You, so I think that's a yeah, that's key thing. Yeah, no, well, no, you you said last among the other things you were talking about too last week is you had mentioned that you know the DeSantis campaign needs to start cleaning house a little bit. Um, there was news that he fired roughly a dozen staffers. Maybe they're the right ones. Maybe they're not. I'm not sure if they are or aren't. It seemed like they may not have been high level enough. It's hard to tell. What did surprise me is that he had 92 people on staff. That's a big dang staff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of I mean, I shouldn't be mad. I'm not even say anything more than that because i'm already in so much trouble with that. okay they're, they're with me. <laughs> but the bottom line is the one that needs to go she's still there yeah and um my understanding is a lot of those staffers who um who did get fired they really weren't fired so much as they were um so much as they were moved okay. to another aspect of the campaign not directly working for the campaign but working for one of the um what do you call it? One of the uh, oh, independent expenditures. Yeah, yes, IEs. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. So, um, you know, I, I I just think that they've got a lot of staffing issues. That's going to be something that's hurting him. Also, because you know he's billing himself as I am 
uh, more competent. Yeah, that's uh, the argument. To tar- yeah, yeah, I'm the Trump and with competence. Yeah, right. It's not right. really an argument right now yeah. because his campaign staff are just horrible. Yeah. They're just horrible. So, yeah, yeah, and he's the one saying that Trump didn't wasn't able to clean the deep state. It's almost as if he's built his own, huh? Well, I, I well, I guess. No, I, mean, I, I, guess, I know. Yeah. I'm being hard. I'm being critical and clever. But I mean, you've been part of campaigns. I've been part of campaigns. Yeah. Ninety two staffers is a lot of staff. <laughs> That's a really lot are. of staff. But he is, you know, he is, um, he is building some some very effective ground game. Okay. In those key battleground states, okay. and he's surging. That's what he's been spending his money on. Okay. Um, so I think that probably, probably he's he. he I think he's going to be competitive still. Well, um, yeah. the, the issue is though that he's got I think some of the wrong people running the show, yeah. particularly on the social media side. Yep. And I think another problem is that if he doesn't deliver some good punches in the debate, and if he can't win Iowa. I think that's going to be it for him. Yeah. I think that's that's it. Fair enough. And again, it's not really the how many, it's the who. Brandon, I know you've had a long day. You are such a gem to stay with us. We really appreciate you very, very, to join us uh, as you Thanks, always sir. do. Thank you, sir. Have a good week, rest of your week, and God bless. You too. Thank you. Brandon Weikert can be followed on Twitter at we, the Brandon, W-E-T-H-E, Brandon, we, the Brandon. I'll be right back. With bank failures and stock market volatility and talk of a recession and durable inflation, you ask where you go to invest these days. Why Refi has an answer. They have an investment in a portfolio where you get a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're based here, headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been, and I can tell you, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like them so much and trust them so much, and you will too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Just, I was, uh, based on my interview with Brandon, wasn't able to uh, repeat as I did in the first and second hours. Uh, For those of you that may have interest in this, uh, I will be testifying down at the State Senate tomorrow in hearing room one at 9 a.m. It's open. Dennis Prager will be there. He and I will both be testifying on the issue of freedom of expression at our public universities, particularly at Arizona State University. And uh, again, uh, feel free to show up. Feel free to go. It's an open public meeting, hearing. Uh, joint legislative session, and pra- uh, Mr. Prager and I will, among others, be testifying down there at 9 a.m. in Senate Hearing Room 1. Uh, you can get more information at azledge.gov. That's azledge.gov. Or uh, you can read about it in uh, today's Arizona Republic. Uh, the story was on the front page. And uh, 
you can check it out there. Love to say hi to you if you are there. David, you may be going, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, it's always interesting. People sometimes are more interested in meeting the producer than the host. So David will be the one uh, <laughs> David will be the one who uh, well, he'll be the one looking better. <laughs> he'll be the best dressed. He'll be the better dressed. He'll be the more handsome of the two. He's a uh, dashing young lad, among other things. So it'd be great to see him. And uh, we'll be back in time for the show. Uh, anyway, until tomorrow, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. God bless you all. Um, thank you, David. Uh, until tomorrow, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.